Good evening. My name is Pastor Matt, and uh, I'm not a super sentimental guy, but I realize today this is my 10th Christmas worshiping at Cornerstone, and it's just a privilege to gather and just marvel at, a, at Christmas, the humility and the, great, the greatness of God. Wow. The Christmas text that they read is from Isaiah 49, a prophecy written hundreds of years before the arrival of Jesus in a manger. And it begins by saying, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. I just looked online right before we gathered tonight, and it said that those cochlear implants, about $50,000 for children born without the ability to hear, they would spend this sort of money because to hear is an amazing thing. And what this text is telling us is for you to really listen to God's word and to really hear his son speaking, it's priceless. Let's pray that we'd be able to hear tonight. Father, I ask that by your grace, we would hear something fresh and new and hopeful. Most of us come in here with stories of sadness over the last year, discouragement, and even tragedy. And in the midst of this, Lord, we want hope. We want to hear how the, a baby born in a manger is hope for us. So speak and give us ears to hear. Amen. At 10.20 p.m. on Christmas Eve, 1953, a train passed through Tangaway Station in New Zealand. Now, there was a passerby outside the train that started waving his arms at the train, and immediately the conductor of the train slammed on its brake and ceased the engine. But this was not fast enough. By 1021, the engine and the first five carriages fell in to the Wangahoo River. A massive mudslide had destroyed the bridge only shortly before. 151 people died. The train intended to reach Auckland, a distance of about 400 miles, but devastation struck at mile 244. How do you make sense of such tragedy on Christmas Eve? How do, you, how do we face our own failures, disappointments, and despair Christmas Eve 2019? So this Christmas Eve, I, wanna, I just want to ponder what the prophet Isaiah penned particularly in verse 4 of Isaiah 49, when he writes this. But I said, but I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. So in this verse, we have two dueling realities. We have a taste of tragedy, and then what's called a righteous reward. The first reality, a taste of tragedy. The person who's speaking says he has labored, he has spent his strength, but there is no victory. It's a labor in vain. It's how I felt crashing and burning at mile 22 of my 26-mile marathon. It's how the cook feels when the cake doesn't rise or the turkey dries out on a much more serious level. 
It's the sorrow after a stillbirth. It's the aftershock after a divorce. It's the hangover after a friend stabs you in the back. But who is speaking? Who proclaims these words of vanity? In the greater context of verse 49, we read in verse 1 that the entity of our speaker is one whom God has called for a special purpose. Verse 2, it says this person is a weapon formed by God with a sword-like mouth and one who is an arrow ready to shoot from the quiver. Verse 3 calls him God's servant, the representative of the people of Israel. Just like David fought on behalf of Israel against the giant Goliath, this coming servant will represent Israel. And Isaiah, Isaiah pronounces God will be glorified by this servant. Jump ahead to verse 5 and 6. It goes on to say this servant will not only bring, on, bring about blessing to the Jews, but to all people, all nations, Jews and Gentiles alike. But then the beginning of verse 7 describes the servant as one despised and abhorred by nations and rulers alike. This is the one who faces failure, a vain mission, spent strength, and nothing to show for it. So what Isaiah is foretelling, he's looking ahead, he's looking beyond the manger, and he's seeing Jesus on a cross. On the first Good Friday, 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies, and it's an epic tragedy. It's horror upon horrors. The innocent Son of God dies. The world rejects God's servant. Jesus dies between thieves and amidst the scorn and ridicule of his murderers. Again, what value is that to us on Christmas Eve? And here's the big thing. Jesus knows about tragedy. He's faced failure like no one before. His death was not only humanity's rejection, it's also Satan's victory in a, a day where there was silence from heaven. Jesus cries out to God as one forsaken. The Son of God is under God's judgment. And this is more horrific than a 1953 train accident. It's more horrific than any of our greatest tragedies. And no wonder Isaiah puts on the lips of God's servant, I've labored in vain, I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. As I was praying for our time this evening, I, I don't know what you've faced this week or this year. But I pray that there may be solace and comfort to know that the God of the universe knows about tragedy. The God of Christianity is not aloof from his people. He doesn't leave them in utter despair. He actually comes and faces tragedy, failure, pain, judgment, and even death. But that alone wouldn't bring comfort. But beside Jesus' tragedy, he also knows what it means to receive God's righteous reward. Verse 4, But I said, I have labored in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. Isaiah foretells that Jesus' tragedy is paving the way for God's greatest, greatest triumph. 
the Son of God brings glory to the God the Father by, feeding, by defeating death through his own death. Jesus' humble birth, lowly life, and gruesome death were God's means to bring salvation to all. Jesus experiences the greatest tragedy in order to undo all tragedies. Jesus faces utter evil and judgment in order to undercut evil and judgment. And it is for this reason that three days later, Jesus rises from the dead and Jesus receives full recompense, full reward for all that has been lost. God raises Jesus even far higher than he has stooped. The Apostle Paul summarizes the lowliness of Jesus as well as his high exaltation in Philippians chapter 2, and he uses these words, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, and he took on the very nature of his servant. He was made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knows the taste of tragedy, followed by a righteous reward. The Son of God goes from abhorred by the nations to adored by the nations. It's interesting that the person who alerted the train in 1953 was a local postal worker by the name Arthur Ellis. And though it was too late to save the first five cars, the sixth car dangled precariously over the bridge, the fallout bridge. So Ellis actually ran to the train. He called some officer to to rescue the passengers that were left on that sixth carriage. And they began to send passengers out the car. But before they could get all the passengers off, the car with Ellis and the other officer actually falls into the river. Miraculously, they survive the fall. They break out a window. And through these heroics, they save all but one that was on the sixth carriage. And Ellis was rewarded, given one of the highest honors in the British Commonwealth. The taste of tragedy followed by a righteous reward. I really believe, friends, that without the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have minimal resources to face tragedy and failure. Failures would lack purpose. Loss would be only loss. But in God's economy, tragedy is undone. When we risk our lives for others and sacrifice all we have, there is a greater reward in store. You know, fiction writers sometimes get this. Uh, You know, whether it's Harry Potter Potter letting Voldemort strike him dead or uh, some other fiction story that just shows that when you give your life, there might be hope on the backside if you're more of a Marvel person, the first Thor movie. But that's fiction. It's good, it might even be beautiful, but when it happens in history, when a, a baby, a, the Son of God, stoops into history and breathes a breath and lives a life, now there's real hope. Only in Christianity can a newborn baby also be the conquering king. Only in Christianity can the one killed by evil actually be killing evil. 
And it's truths like these that have led to great lives and great stories that happen in the real world. Martin Luther King Jr. can be killed in his prime and and in so doing bring about a great upheaval of racism. Mother Teresa caring for the sick and dying can become a beacon of light. Missionaries can be killed by Amazon natives and bring about the greatest recruitment of missionaries in human history. I also believe it's what led the U.S. gymnast Rachel Den Hollander to speak words of hope to her abuser Larry Nasser at his sentencing. These were her words. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me though I extend that to you as well. Consider also Harper Lee's 1962 novel, To Kill a Mockingbird. In Harper Lee's book, her main character, Atticus Finch, chooses to defend a black man charged with rape against a white woman. Atticus's willingness is not received well by the white majority of his small town. And so one day, Scout, his daughter, has heard these different reports and you know, wants to set Atticus down and tell him why he shouldn't get involved in this. Her father replies, Scout, said Atticus, when summer comes, you'll have to keep your head about far worse things. It's not fair for you and Jem, I know that, but sometimes we have to make the best of things. And the way we conduct ourselves when the chips are down, well, all I can say, when you and Jem are grown, maybe you'll look back on this with some compassion and some feeling that I didn't let you down. This case, Tom Robinson's case, is something that goes to the essence of a man's conscience. Scout, I couldn't go to church and worship God if I didn't try to help that man. Atticus, you must be wrong, his daughter replies. How's that? Well, most folks seem to think they're right and you're wrong. They're certainly entitled to think that. And they're entitled to full respect for their opinion, said Atticus. But before I can live with other folks, I've got to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. Now as the story develops, Tom Robinson is clearly innocent, but the jury convicts him anyway. And in the face of such injustice, Tom Robinson tries to run away and he gets shot down with 17 bullets. If ever there was a sad story, this is it. Atticus failed, utterly failed, and Tom died. But over 50 years later, we know that this story has an afterlife. Atticus is a literary hero. Though the outcome seemed vain and empty, this fictional character has brought about a great victory for the human conscience. This story was a key domino in the fight for voting rights, the end of Jim Crow segregation, and our country's need to treat all men and all women regardless of color as fellow image bearers of God. This points, though, to the true story, that our Savior Jesus Christ tasted tragedy and he received his reward. 
Friends, the good news of Jesus Christ for you today is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, if the weight of your guilt crushes you, you can experience the reward that Christ purchased for us on the cross and share in his resurrection. It's been bought and paid for, and you can't contribute a dime. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. But so too, brother Christian and sister Christian, as you serve him this coming year for conscience sake, through failure and tragedy and disappointment, God will redeem all your losses. And one day you too will receive God's righteous reward. All glory be to Jesus Christ. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just pray that we would take our sorrows to the real Savior who knows about sorrow and death and tragedy, but that did not have the last word. And so we thank you for the hope that is in Christ Jesus in his death and in his resurrection and that all who believe in him, though they die, they will live again. There is no greater God and there is no greater gospel. We thank you and praise you. Amen.